leading the kids through wandering. <laughs> Friends, usually we have two scripture readings. Our first scripture reading was Psalm 27 that we read together for our call to worship. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 13. Verses 31 through 35, and I invite you to read along in your pew Bible or to actively listen. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Jesus replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem! Jerusalem! You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Sometimes our community and the people that comprise them let us down. We expect people to do the right thing, to do justice and love kindness. This week, our communities have let us down. And we don't have to go too far back to see how we have been let down. On Friday, white supremacist ideals and rhetoric resulted in real-world violence when a shooter with a history of social media radicalism entered two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand and murdered 50 people. And the violence doesn't stop there. It goes further as those who were present praying, men, women, fathers, mothers, children, will bear the psychological scars for the rest of their lives, as well as the thousands touched by this act of terror family members of victims, and survivors, and friends, and loved ones. And those throughout the world who know too well what it feels like to feel and be unsafe in what is supposed to be known as a safe place. 
from Philadelphia to Charlottesville. Sometimes our communities let us down. When we learn what most of us already knew but can no longer deny that the influence of money and power and celebrity status to gain entrance into prestigious universities takes precedence over hard work and decent grades and sacrifice. Our communities let us down. When Detroit still doesn't have clean drinking water, and as of September 2018, 57 out of 86 schools where test results were test results shown that there are still elevated levels of lead or copper. Our communities let us down. And even though the Environmental Protection Agency says that even low levels of lead in the blood of children can result in behavior and learning problems and lower IQ and hyperactivity and slowed growth and hearing problems and anemia, the EPA proposes rollbacks in water protection. Sometimes our communities let us down. And while perhaps we can set ourselves apart from these atrocities, creating space so we don't have to be so overloaded with the stress and the heartache, it would be prudent to remember that 2.7 million people in Virginia depend upon the James River for drinking water, for commercial fishing. And that the economic value of all that is $22 billion. Sometimes our communities let us down. And an even closer look at home in Richmond. Our city schools don't have the resources they need. And affordable housing is nearly non-existent for the average Richmond resident. And then, then there is our governor, who I guess prays that if enough time passes, we will all forget about his college blackface pranks and will forget to hold him accountable when he promises to work toward racial justice. Our communities and those who make it up sometimes let us down. From institutions to those who serve it, from those who are short-sighted or who are only in it for their own gain. We are let down because we had hoped people were going to be better, to do better, to help those who need it, to hold fast to laws and rules that we're supposed to support and not hinder. And we are left lamenting. That is where we find Jesus today. 
lamenting for a community, a city that is not living into its name. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. Jerusalem, the center of the nation, the home of the temple, the home of the Ark of the Covenant, where God is at the center of the people. Jerusalem, the nexus between heaven and earth. Jerusalem, a name that means peace. And yet that is not what is taking place there. Jerusalem has become the place where religious leadership is now complacent with Roman priorities. It is the place that is complicit in the empire and power structures that were, that were meant to protect and no longer do. It is the place of violence where they kill prophets and stone those who are sent to it. Jerusalem is a community that has gone awry. And Jesus is mourning the hope and possibility of what this community was supposed to be and what it could be again. Jesus is living on the edge of danger. Controversy is swirling around his feet. His outspoken style and his constant challenges to the established order have drawn the attention of powerful people, and now Jesus has an increasing number of enemies. His cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, and John's murderer, King Herod, has placed a price on Jesus' head. Our gospel lesson speaks clearly of Jesus' courage and determination. And the Pharisees warned Jesus, Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus responds incredulously with his schedule. Listen, I'm casting out demons today and I'm going to be doing some healings tomorrow. Jesus is on a mission. He has focus, he has purpose, and he can't get distracted by outside threats. He is not going into hiding. And he sets his face toward Jerusalem and nothing is going to deter him. Luke's gospel lesson challenges us to emulate the example of Jesus by living our lives with similar courage and resolve. But do we need such a challenge? Are any of us here really doing anything that could possibly incur the wrath or severe displeasure of anyone in authority? I mean, most of us are probably shuffling along, trying not to rock the boat, happy to maintain integrity 
in our own life? Are we living our life like the Iranian human rights lawyer Nasserin Sotudeh, who this week was sentenced to 38 years in prison and 149 lashes for her peaceful human rights work, including her defense of women protesting Iran's abusive force hijab laws, and her outspoken opposition to the death penalty. Or what about the 250 female prison inmates in California who signed up to fight wildfires? They are paid less than $2 a day for hazardous, back-breaking, life-risking work. These are quite noble struggles. And without a doubt, an act of courage few of us might be willing to face. But I don't think all courageous moves have to be backbreaking and life threatening. I am willing to acknowledge that Jesus is Jesus and we are not. But our humanity shouldn't get us off the hook. I mean, if we are honest, I think we would acknowledge the painful truth wrapped in the old cliche, if you were on trial for your life and the charge is that you are a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Courage and resolve can look as simple as teenagers who come together to help an eight-year-old boy who is dangling from a ski lift in Vancouver. Courage and resolve can look as simple as disarming bullying against kids or our Muslim brother, Jewish brothers and sisters or against racism by stepping in and speaking out. It only takes one person to disengage a bully. Courage and resolve can be as simple as following in the footsteps of the youth who chose to be a part of a global climate protest. Courage and resolve can look as simple as asking questions and exercising our critical thinking skills. Courage and resolve can be as simple as erring on the side of love in all things. Our first reading this morning, Psalm 27, asks the question, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? The truth is, we have a lot of fears in life. We mentioned many struggles last week, from living paycheck to paycheck to caring for parents with dementia. There are many in our world who now fear for their lives or who risk their life just to pray to their God. 
And we can choose to live in fear. We can remain silent and scattered. We can close ourselves off. We can choose to demonize and other. We can choose violence and self-sufficiency or usurp our prerogatives over others. And we can become complacent, letting our institutions do our sinning for us. Or we can resist it. And we can be courageous. This week, on Terry Gross's NPR's Fresh Air, she interviewed Barbara Brown Taylor, a former Episcopal priest and a theological guru, among many of my colleagues. And the interview shared Taylor's answer to the question, who is God? And I paraphrase this answer. She says, I am aware that I am using a code word when I speak of God. We all imagine something different, a different posture. I suppose my own image, evolving and imperfect as it is, would be that God is the glue that hooks everything together. The consciousness that moves between all living things. I do not imagine two arms or two eyes, but a presence beyond my being that knows the stars by name and knows me by name, that is not here to be useful to me or give me things as much as it asks of me to give myself away for love. While there is a great deal of fear. God's presence in our lives helps us face our fears. God's presence helps us to be resilient, giving us the grit to press on and move forward, giving ourselves away for love's sake, like Jesus. So friends, let us strive to be the people of courage. Let us resist the Herods who would seek to silence us or scare us. Let us confront wrong whatever, wherever we find it, always determined to live as citizens of God's beloved community. Amen.